So I wasn't emotionally prepared for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I mean, I don't think any of us were, but honestly, we should have been. All of the warning signs were there. Think, yeah. When was the last time you made it to the end of a Guardians of the Galaxy movie without, like, ugly crying in the theaters? Because there hasn't been one. Oh, I mean, it wasn't until this movie... I mean, this is going to be spoiler-free talking oh, about Oh, for Guardians. spoilers-free for the new Guardians, there probably will be spoilers for Guardians 1 and 2. Yes, absolutely. So, I was aware of all of the main characters' childhood trauma, but it didn't really come into full focus until I watched the third movie, and I'm like, oh... These are horribly broken people, and uh, yeah, I wasn't I wasn't prepared with how they tackled the material. It it has emotionally stuck with me for a little bit. I may have teared up like five minutes ago talking about it with you before we started recording. Yeah, before we started recording, you we don't have to you don't have to again. confirm or or anything. It's fine. Yeah. It may have happened. Not saying it did. <laughs> well, we we had a big like spoilerific conversation about it before we started recording. So I cried at least three times during the movie. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say. Listen, I was trying to um, move on from that. <laughs> none of it was as bad as the ugly crying when we lost Yondu, but... Volume 2, by God. the way. He, Ego may have been your father, but he sure wasn't your daddy. Now I'm crying. Yeah. So, it's... I get, I'll be honest, like, are there other Marvel movies that consistently bring the feels like Guardians of the Galaxy does? Well, they always... They try. Yeah. What I mean, like... When you dig deeper past the surface... Like you can see that there are like some some deeper themes there, but you know then Iron Man says a quip or or like Thor does something goofy and funny and like it distracts. Now Guardians of the Galaxy, as a whole as a trilogy, are goofy movies. Like they are fully aware of what they are. Um, I remember watching the first trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy in the theaters. I forgot what movie I went to go see, but I was like, really? guardians of the galaxy like are we like scraping the bottom of the of the property barrel here like (laughs) can we just not get a fantastic four movie i guess it was before marvel owned the rights right because their hands were tied so maybe that i mean that's probably literally why i was not familiar with the guardians of the galaxy at all before that first i don't think anybody was like i literally i was like well i guess i'm going to youtube and i'm watching three or four hours to catch up and i did and it was awesome um variant comics is a good uh YouTube channel, Friends of the Pod. Friends of the Pod, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like, I, I remember, th- like, reading something about it, and the by the time the first movie came into theaters, there was only, like, something like 26 issues of Guardians of the Galaxy in existence. Oh, from, really? Like, like the it was early a 90s. small publication. Yeah, yeah, from, like, the early 90s to, like, the mid-2000s or something like that. That's they're, crazy. Like, it was a small property but it was an ip that marvel and disney owned that they could make a movie out of so they went ahead and did it and it ends up being probably my personal favorite out of all of the marvel properties that have been put to film and that includes the tom holland spider-man doesn't is not better than the toby Maguire spider-man we all should right. probably talk about uh, spider-man in a different podcast we'll have to do a, spider- we, we'll we have can... to do a spider-man episode because there's only one real Spider-Man, and it's pronounced Spider-Man. Spider-Man! <laughs> um, he had a mecha and a car, and I think he fought Ka- Kaiju. Yes, he, um, he was basically a Power Ranger. Right, right. Yeah. Like a solo Power Ranger Spider-Man. Super awesome. 
I haven't seen it, but I have seen screenshots from it. So Marvel had licensed out Spider-Man to uh, um, a Japanese um, Super Sentai studio. Super Sentai meaning the genre that like Power Rangers and things like that uh, were prevalent in. And they they basically made Spider-Man a Power Ranger. And it was, as I said, I haven't seen it, but I've seen screens of it, and it looks super dope. I was trying to think of a really good uh, thing to take us into the stinger, but I was at emo night last night and running on, like, three hours of sleep. I have no opinion. Just kidding. I have too many opinions. Wait, you know what? I actually do have something to say about that. You did it again. Proceed. I have an idea about that. Here was that. Here's what I was thinking. You know what? I, I saw something the other day. Welcome to I Have Something to Say About That, a podcast where two dudes talk about nerd stuff on the internet. I'm Chris. And I'm Daniel. And we have a lot of stuff to say about a lot of things. So uh, before the stinger, you were talking about how you went to emo night. You're running on three hours of sleep. So emo night, as always, was incredible. Uh, shout out to, uh, Emo Knight, obviously friend of the pod, uh, Meredith, how you doing? I know you listen. She does not. So it's fine. I'm, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, uh, I'd be surprised uh, if anybody listens. Mer- to my mom, my mom's there. Uh, mom, <laughs> Meredith is the lady DJ who, uh, runs Emo Nights, uh, when they come to Tacoma. So I talked to her once like six months ago. It was awesome. <laughs> um, I did recently go to, uh, San Francisco, uh, oh, or yeah, actually yeah. San Jose, uh, technically, um, we have some friends that are working down in the area and we flew down to visit them. And so we spent uh, Cinco de Mayo down there. Uh, that's where we actually watched guardians of the galaxy, ate a lot of tacos, like a lot of tacos, um, and in and out at least three times. Um, how's that digestive tract going? Uh, now that I'm back and it's been about a week, I'm feeling pretty good. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. yeah, we're, yeah. So we're, we're, week long recovery. I've gone back. I've gone back to like my normal amount of food intake and I feel much much better now thank you for asking <laughs> these are the things you have to take into consideration after you uh hit like 30 what about you you do anything exciting last well, couple weeks so we went to uh go see guardians of the galaxy we didn't go to california to do so but we we went to go see it um had a couple of trips out of town where I too also ate way too much food to the point where it's like, like a vacation thing I think like you just you just nom a lot yeah when you, nothing else well to do. I mean to this point where where we went out for sushi which uh to give you and our fair listeners context you know when you're asked that rhetorical question like what food could you eat every day for the rest of your life if there were no repercussions for me it would be sushi. I would eat really? sushi every single day for the rest of my life. That or hot dogs. Very, very okay. different, very different so now hot dogs, sides of the, the spectrum. But I get hot dogs because there's been times in my life where I have subsisted, subsisted solely upon hot dogs, like for extended <laughs> periods of time. I also took a multivitamin, it's important to scave off the scurvy. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> sushi, huh? Yeah. Absolutely. You, surely you can just eat that. It's like rice and seaweed. And fish. And fish. That's yeah. fine. None it's, of those, all of those things are like. Good for you. Considered healthy foods compared to everything that I eat. Because yeah, I, I mean, my healthy foods are like chicken nuggets um, <laughs> in the air fryer. Okay. And then, yeah. So not deep fried. 
I think they're deep fried before they're frozen and then they're put in the air fryer. Like who knows really for sure. I buy them at the in the freezer. Aisle. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I I do try to eat some green things. Um, I've been told that like green gummy worms do not count. Yep. Um, Neither does Mountain Dew. The look that Daniel is giving me right now is like the look of sheer betrayal. <clears throat> I take a multivitamin. It's going to be fine. <laughs> um, no, I mean, so what, so what was your what was your favorite thing that you ate? I'll tell you my yeah, favorite yeah. thing. You tell me your favorite. Yep. Thing. So, so where I was going with my story was, uh, we went out for sushi that last night before like coming back into town. I I couldn't eat it. Like I couldn't eat all of it. You were too. Yeah, like it wasn't just I was too full from the day. It's like I was too full from the weekend. Have you ever seen a competitive eater train? Uh, I've seen YouTube videos, and I'll, have you seen him do the thing with the it's water? It's horrifying. It's with, horrifying. The, with the water, the, with the water. No. I'd... Okay. If we don't cut this out, which we may, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna be like a trigger warning here. Like, if you don't want to hear about competitive eaters' training uh, routines. There's a, it's just mostly puking. What I've seen them do is they will take like, they will like drink like three gallons of water just like until they are like totally full of water, um, to stretch out their stomach and they just puke it back up. Dear God. Yeah. That. Okay. Like, listen. because if you don't, the, and the other people I saw, there was this lady who she was, oh, she was training to be a, uh, for a, com- a competitive eating competition. And so she ate some ridiculous amount of food but it was all like big old green leafy vegetables so she ate like eight pounds of lettuce in a day but it still only came out to like 300 calories but she had to eat like like a cow like all day just like sit there so so at what point is that considered like animal cruelty even though we're human, when humans are technically animals, like at, at what point is competitive eating just considered animal cruelty? I mean, we still allow people. We, I mean, we still allow competitive sports, and I mean, I think I think that the injuries sustained in competitive sports are probably more serious than competitive eating. I mean, well, well, that's a completely different, uh, completely different discussion, um, I'm, well, and maybe not as lighthearted enough for this podcast. I totally feel as though, well, yeah, no, no, go ahead. Sports are organized ritualized warfare and violence that allows us to get all of our nasty human impulses out which is literally the only reason that boston and new york city have not literally gone to war with each other (laughs) because of sports you're welcome yeah well i mean it it's it's just a uh evolution of like putting the gladiators in the coliseum to to murder each other it's just like oh well let's actually put rules in place and like let's give them an, an objective to do am i for blood sports probably but yeah if i was would i say so on like a podcast no no right. you don't want to in in indict yourself just yeah. in case there's any allegations of any sort of like underground <laughs> gladiatorial ring that come up in the future in the world um, of illegal underground table tennis by the way hit me up on instagram <laughs> if you think you got what it takes to be a champion first rule of fight club is don't talk about fight club except on the podcast yeah (laughs) okay cool yeah Uh, so yeah i went out of town had a lot of food your question was what was my favorite favorite thing thing that you ate yes probably the first half of that sushi meal was my favorite thing and then it was too much by the end yeah yeah uh what kind of sushi do you like do you like the fried sushi like the ones that are like the deep fried rolls. Like uh, it is tempura is is the name of the deep fried 
sushi. Right. And um, I like it well enough, but I my favorite kind of uh, sushi roll is usually going to be one that has like tuna or salmon on the top. Maybe a little bit of masago, which is fish egg as a uh, as a garnish. Like the look of horror now, like I feel like I'm just narrating Daniel's like facial expressions, but the look of sheer horror on Daniel's face is palpable. When we I feel to... a little judged. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's no judging here. Um, when we and uh, we went to Fisherman's Wharf when we were down in uh, San Jose, yeah. Um, and Kathy got a, a Dungeness crab, uh, which I referred to during the entire trip as a dungeon crab. Dungeon crab. Um, and I think it's a Dungeness. Crab. It is Dun- how it's pronounced. Dunganus. Dunganus. Yes. D- Dungeon's better. So dungeon, dungeon crab. D- and I watched her eat that for about five minutes, and I was like, I think I need to go. And me and Brantley went to In and Out. So, yeah. so your aversion to seafood, where does that come from? Like uh, exoskeletons. Don't like them. Close genetic relation to arachnids, because um, I don't eat spiders. Well, they are arachnids. Exactly. Thank right. you. I don't eat those. And like it's always hard it's always hard to like really come down on like tastes like this right because there are people that really like this but like one of the hugest things that like i'm averted to is the smell like it doesn't well smell ap- like it smells it smells gross to me and it literally makes me think like i'm like there's no way you're eating this if you if you are if you are smelling the same thing that I am smelling right now. There is no way that you're putting that in your mouth. Like you were. Well, and I also think that that has to do with where you grew up too. Because if you grew up the, if you grew up eating fresh seafood, it's different. But if you grew up in a mostly landlocked state where, like New Mexico, yeah, where things have to be like frozen and trucked in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ain't getting no sushi in New Mexico. I'd advise yeah, against it. Yeah, I probably would not get sushi in new mexico so i think it is heavily dependent upon um where regionally you grew up one of the the my favorite places to eat seafood we were in uh mexico and most of the restaurants down there on the coastal the coastal areas will uh cook whatever you catch with like one of their menu recipe so like rather than using like their fish from the restaurant like you can bring in what you caught that day b-y-o-f yeah and then they will like do like their yeah and then they'll do like their fish tacos or their uh whatever recipes they have on their menu with the fish that you caught okay um and that is probably hands down some of the best seafood i have ever had because like i literally caught it like two hours prior and um then they made this like really cool like fish salsa out of it i, I don't know it it was very good it also freaks I like me seafood. out that they don't have any legs the fish sure but crabs have legs too many crabs have eight of them that's right that's twice <laughs> as many legs as they should have easily twice like am i the only one that could see this <laughs> no. uh, <clears throat> what about you what feel about? like they they live you put on the sunglasses yeah, and I'm like, like they're no. spiders man they're giant exoskeleton covered spiders like what are you doing what are you doing with that crack <laughs> Whoa. Uh, what about what about organs do you eat organs no uh do you draw like a hard line at any sort of organ or is there a, any organ that you would eat you have to hide it very 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 well but where i do the draw draw the line and i uh 
I get this from my wife, who is a physician. Okay. Anything that has to do with the nervous system. Oh, because you don't want prion disease. Yeah. Like, All right, this has now become a prion disease episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, because there is nothing that I find more existentially terrifying than a prion. <laughs> yeah. We will eventually do a prion episode, but this doesn't have to be any. Yeah. We talk about protein folding. Yeah, yeah. The So uh, I, I've kind of taken her aversion to nervous system. No brains. And, and, and internalized it. Yeah, no brains. No spines. No, no yeah, no eyeballs cerebral spinal fluid I, is that do they cook that do, is sure there are there, there cultures every that part eat of that? every part of the buffalo my friend i mean i'm sure <laughs> um, um i have always wanted to try haggis just because a lot of a lot of things have said been said about it so no central nervous system so that means brains off limits yeah bummer wait what <laughs> do zombies in resident <laughs> evil eat brains uh, they actually eat the whole body. There's that which, hard, fast segue yeah, yeah. for you. There's, there's the hard segue, <laughs> what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so uh, one of the, the, the topics of conversation before we record is what are we going to talk about on the podcast? And some of, one of the, the biggest things that I've been wanting to talk about for a little bit at this point is Resident Evil. Specifically... Some of my favorite games that I've been, uh, video games that I've been playing in the last two years, three years, have been remakes of 20 year old <laughs> Resident Evil games. And it's just been on my mind a lot. And what uh, I, uh, like, I just kind of want to, like, talk about it. I want to talk about, like, the video game industry and where it's at right now and why what are some of the most popular games being played right now are like remakes of like single player linear narrative experiences um and using resident evil specifically as a case study for it like anybody who has played a video game in the last eight years nine years you know like are probably familiar with like the live service gotchas like the loot boxes and oh, uh, was that cosmetics by... no 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 but being like that's a common theme in video games now um to the point now where like the games that are topping the charts oh. are just games that don't have any of that stuff and is just as soon as you're done playing it you're done playing it i if there is something that i always hate is people that like complain and i mean i guess there's certain cases where it where it's where it's a, a valid criticism but like when somebody asks like in game they're like what's the in game like what's the in game content i'm like the end there, game content there is no end game content you reach the end of the game you you did it it's it's over yeah C- congratulations the, the credits are rolling <laughs> these are all the people that worked real hard on this story we <laughs> hope you enjoyed it if you want to try new game plus you can but this is it like Mm-hmm. You bought the game, you played the game. I feel like a lot of in-game, a lot of modern-day games now that focus on having something to do for players to do in-game, in-game, like in-game content, a lot of the, I think it's to the detriment of the story and the single player or just like just like the experience of leveling up because in a lot of these games now it's just a race to cap level cap 50 or 100 or whatever it is so you could get to that indie game content that everybody wants and they nobody cares it's journey before destination i guess what i'm trying to say yeah yo i mean like so the the 
you hit the nail right on the head like the the end game content. I can't say it, but that's yeah. Yeah. The the like right now the natural progression of a video game is you have your early game content which is the tutorial and then the campaign which kind of like teaches you all of the mechanics as you go. They may like dole out <laughs> skills haphazardly over time you know as you progress so you get oh now i can play with this skill plus this skill and then after i practice with this one and this one they're gonna give me another one a couple levels down the road and you get to practice with that one then you have two three or whatever yeah yeah and then once you're done with the story which admittedly in in most of the live service games that i've played is somewhat less than satisfying because they want you to keep playing and they'll kind of like drip feed more story to you over time and uh like you're so you finish the story and now you're in the mid game content uh content where it's basically i'm going to play the same gameplay loop over i'm gonna and over. grind this loop until i get the best gear that i possibly can so that i can grind the next loop up yep which is now <laughs> the end game content where is like you're 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 playing like pinnacle uh challenge level content i finally got all my legendary gear now i just need to get that full set <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and then so you're sitting here you're you're bashing your head up against this difficulty wall like trying to to get through it and like that's the end game end game content and by the f- time you finally get through it then the next expansion that you have to pay for uh, comes out, and then the cycle begins anew. You have the early game content, the mid game content, the end game content. So, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, so in what nineteen ninety six, a game was released in Japan called mm-hmm. Biohazard. Yeah. Um, for the PlayStation, mm-hmm. um, which was in and of itself supposed to be a remake of a video game called Sweet Home. Oh, also <laughs> about zombies. Mm-hmm. Ooh, well, interesting. It was a haunted house. It wasn't about zombies specifically. It was about it was haunted a haunted house. A horror game. Yep. Uh, for the original Nintendo, which was a actually a video game adaptation of a movie called Sweet Home, but it was. Uh, you're you're in a mansion and you're solving these puzzles and it's a haunted house. They did couldn't get the rights to Sweet Home, so then they kind of had to pivot the content and and it became specifically zombies and whatnot. So we we talked a lot about the live service game environment where it's at right now. Let so rewinding back to 1996 where where and you were talking about and, rewind with yep. your PlayStation. You're rocking Twisted Metal 2, drinking Surge. Oh, uh, yeah. It's 96, Seven of Nines on Star Trek Voyager. You're uh, living your best life. You're living your best life, <laughs> yep. You just got done watching uh, Digimon oh. uh, after school. You tried not to cry, but you didn't quite make it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now it's time to boot up the PlayStation and play some Resident Evil, which was what Biohazard was called here in the United States. It was one of the first games that were, like really capitalize on like the 3D graphics of the time, which admittedly now somewhat rudimentary and and laughable but it was one of the first games that made like uh terrible controls part of the mechanic rather than an oversight like the what part of made it 
part of what made the game scary was your character was hard to control and you were slow to react to things. And I remember um, the cool U.S. history teacher at my middle school. Um, There's always one. Had a PlayStation yeah. and would like we play like Tekken after school or whatever. Um, but he also had Resident Evil. Yeah. And I remember trying um, to control. Like the gun, like because it's it's crazy. Like you can move, and then you're moving around, and then you have to click a button to like go into a shoot menu. Now you're you're stationary, you're not moving, and you're like trying to aim your gun mm-hmm. all over the place, and it's like totally three dimensional, up down, all that stuff, right? Which we had just been coming off of Doom in '93 yeah. and Quake, which I don't think did Quake have an up down. Quake had an up down. It yes. did have up down. Okay, because yep. Doom did not, right? Yeah, Doom did not. Like it was. It was a 2D game playing it being a 3D game. Just pretended to be a 3D game, 2.5 game. Mm-hmm. Nice. What other <laughs> what other type of things made Resident Evil like that first Resident Evil? Uh... Well, so it not just had 3D graphics, but also like full voiceover. Like it had like voice acting, which for me at the time was so novel. It was one of the things that they weren't able to do on older forms of data storage, right? There's no mm-hmm. way for you to put one megabyte of audio one yeah. megabyte of audio information on that tiny tiny wafer disc that you put inside your nes it's not going to work um it's too big mm-hmm. I, I remember several years prior on the super nintendo super metroid the opening credit was like the last metroid is in captivity and i just remember it blew my mind because like oh my god i'm hearing their voice that was the only voiceover in the entire game but worth it yeah yeah. Um, I remember. But probably took up half the storage of that cartridge. Sega. When you would turn Sega. on this. Sega. Yes. Yeah. I was like, oh, it talks. I was like, it's a talking machine. <laughs> so, so yeah, like it had full, like cinematic voiceovers. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And did the, it cinematic cutscenes? It did. It had uh, like fully acted, like live action cutscenes in the, both the beginning and the end of of that game which this, live action we talking like wing commander style yeah with Ooh. with like with like actors and stuff they didn't carry that on with the rest of the games but the original resident evil had full motion video like live action stuff now today when you look at it it's it's bad like like the acting is bad and the voice acting is bad but you've got to like think about the time when like voice acting in video games didn't really exist and I'm pretty sure the people who did the voice acting in the original Resident Evil were probably like family members of like the developers and they probably recorded with well I mean probably way less quality equipment than we are recording this podcast on right now you know 30 years later Mm -hmm. and um yeah what a time what a time to be alive eighth grade Resident Evil's talking yeah I'm eating some Dorito yeah seven of nine is on Star Trek Voyager (laughs) We had a big old long not safe for work conversation about seven of nine before we started recording. So it's on our minds. <laughs> so tell us a little bit. Tell me. So I'm going to be honest. I have very little experience with the uh, Resident Evil franchise. Mm-hmm. I never owned my consoles that I've owned in my entire life have been an NES and an SNES and a Game Boy Color. Okay. And that's it. Okay. Um, and so I. Never played. My cousins owned a PlayStation, and so we played Twisted Metal, which is why I know about that. Do you hear um, about the TV series? That's, I, saw, I yeah. saw the trailer. Yeah. Or the teaser, anyway. It's looking pretty good. I'm hoping Bro plays Spectre, because I always played Spectre in Twisted Metal, too. Yeah. Ghost yeah. Missiles. Yeah. I mean, it has Sweet Tooth, so <laughs> I... Like, which is peak 
Twisted Metal. Anyway, like, you didn't really own consoles. Sorry, I, I get it. I liked Mr. Grimm. No, uh, for we... We'll do an entire episode on Twisted Metal Franchise. <laughs> uh, we owe it to Calypso. But uh, I have never actually played a Resident Evil game. Um, although the one that I'm looking to get is the full VR-compatible version of Resident Evil 4, which I hear is, like, next to Half-Life, Alex, the best VR game that you can ever play. Yeah. Well, so the the... And and we're we're talking like the VR version of Resident Evil Four that exists right now is of the original. It's Resident like Evil GameCube. Four. Yeah, it's Resident Evil Four, but VR. Like yeah. in your in your quest. Yeah. So I think it's in a quest. Yeah. So, like, it's not just about Resident Evil. I guess the point I'm trying to make is like that era that that we're talking about. Like, games had to get released in a complete and semi-bug-free state. Oh, because right? there was no internet to there update There was no them. internet. That's yeah. crazy. Like, these games, when you went to the store and bought the disc, was a complete experience. This was the vision that the creators had for you. No DLC. No DLC, no nothing. Maybe, like, a couple years later, they would come out with a director's cut that would maybe have, like, new costumes or something like that. Like, that would get you to buy the game again. Spoiler, I did buy the original Resident Evil, like, three different times. I bought Skyrim five times, so yeah. don't worry. Don't feel bad. <laughs> it's um, about time, actually, so Bethesda, if you're listening, you might as well just release whatever. You might, might as well release another version. version of, of Skyrim, because I need to update. <laughs> But that was what got me reflective on it, right? Like, the introduction of, like, DLC, the introduction of, like, cosmetics, the introduction of ways to to garner, like, long-term engagement with a game, to now where we come out today where if a game does not release in a completely broken, buggy state, we're surprised. Like, and like, because the whole idea is like, oh, we'll just fix it in a day one patch. Do you we'll, play, we'll fix it. Do you play a, PC games? Uh, every once in a while, I do. Um, I on consoles, do they release things in like alpha phase and like pre-alpha? You know how many things that I played for like hours and hours oh, that on are Steam early access that are early access, and it's like, oh yeah, this is our this is our pre-alpha build, and it's been like this way for like, you know, five years. It's been in pre-alpha, and I'm like, I mean, they keep making updates, and it keeps getting better and better, but it's still. There is the, there isn't very much in the terms of early access games on console. Most most games are I, I hesitate to say complete yeah. because a lot of games are released like just utterly broken and like waiting for uh, software updates to fix it. I'm looking at you, Cyberpunk 2077, um, which now is actually a pretty great game. It's a pretty great. It's a pretty great game, but it took like a year and a half to get there. A year and a half of like updates for it to actually become a product that I could recommend to people, not just be like, "Hey, there's a great game in there." And I don't know where Somewhere. the disconnect is because it's like uh, the biggest one that I know is No Man's Sky, right? Yeah. No Man's Sky made all these lofty promises, and they're like, "Oh, it's going to be like this. You'll be able to do this, and all this stuff will happen." And then it released, and it was trash. Like it was trash. It was not. It only was trash. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. But it also didn't work for what it was. Yeah, it trying reminded to be. me. It reminded me of a uh, uh, David, uh, not David, uh, Melanie game. Like he came out with like black and white, 
um, Spore, if you Spore, remember. Like, yes. There was a lot of lofty promises for those games. Fable uh, was Ooh. also a Melanu game. Like, like Fable 2? But, I mean, but there were a lot of, like, promises that were made with those games, and it didn't live up to any of those promises. And, Until... And, yeah, no Man's Sky had been out for like five years. Now, if you go play No Man's Sky, it's an amazing experience. There's tons of stuff to do. The story's fleshed out. A lot of the features that were promised before the early access were released are there now. Um, and I mean, it's been like five years. Tell me about tell me about the world of Resident Evil. What's going on? What's going on in Resident Evil? So, because again, I'm not super. That's yeah. where this whole tangent got started. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I don't no, know. I mean, so like, I, I want to talk about Resident Evil in that it has a lot of it it came out in an era of these like complete experiences and now here in 2023 they're releasing remakes of the games that are indeed complete experiences and i'm finding it novel that these games are coming out complete so i'll, I'll tell you about resident evil but i want you to think about everything that i'm talking I about what you're in in the context I... of like the video game industry as a whole i <clears throat> recently was without internet and mm -hmm. was super disheartened to find out that tiny tina's wonderland is online only why does a single player shooter where exactly. i fight ai components have to be online only to the point where i am unable to play it unless i'm connected to the internet i was more than a little bit upset about that absolutely so the the story of resident evil the very first one is is a simple one um, there are like reports of like violent murders happening in a, a mountainside outside of a, a, a small mountain town called Raccoon City. Okay. Um, they send uh, two police units out there to investigate. One of them goes missing. Naturally. So the second police unit is not only trying to investigate what's going on out there, but also to find the missing members. They find the wreckage of the, the chopper only to get chased by something into a uh, mansion that is out there in the, the countryside that they didn't know existed. They lock the doors behind them because whatever's chasing them is out there. And turns out the, the monstrosities that have been roaming the countryside is all part of like bioweapons research from a pharmaceutical company called Umbrella. And uh, you start out in this mansion, but it actually goes way deeper than that. There's a whole underground. And you play as the cop looking for the other cop. Mm -hmm. You can choose between either a the male protagonist or the female protagonist. Okay. And both it changes the way that the game is played. The female protagonist has a lock pick and uh, a gun to start out with. So therefore her scenario is a little bit easier. And the dude does not have a lockpick, so he has to find, like, more items to unlock doors. Um, and he starts out with a combat knife versus a gun. And so, like, it completely changes the order of events. And As you go through, because you're like, oh, I can't fight this thing because I don't have the knife. I do mm -hmm. have a lockpick, so maybe I can go. Yep, absolutely. So it, it, it was novel in that way, too, in that, like, when I got through the game and I beat it, I immediately went back and started playing it again because I wanted to see what the game was like playing the other character with the other character, which in 1996 was brilliant. I just got two games in one. <laughs> well, and didn't it also have like alternate endings depending on stuff that could happen? Yes. Or did that come later? Subtly, subtly. Um, 
So there were side characters and that if you chose to like rescue those side characters, it affected the ending, but only in really subtle ways. It wasn't like a last mission of Mass Effect situation where they're no. like, yeah, it, it wasn't until like later games that like, tracks a rocket. <laughs> what? what? Yeah. So the, yeah, it, it was a complete cinematic adventure and, and actually, if you knew what to do and you could speed through it, you could actually get through it in about two and a half to three hours. Like once it was solved, because a lot of it was like puzzles and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. So. And in fact, like if you beat it in under a certain amount of time, like it would unlock items for you. So when you played the game again, you would have a bit of an items. advantage. Yeah. Kind of a roguelike. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, do roguelikes keep your stuff? Some of them do. Some of them do. You like keep leveling up or something. Um, but that became kind of my expectation for games, whether it was Resident Evil, whether it was Mario, whether it was any, any type of like narratively driven game, which now that I say Mario, that sounds ridiculous, but I mean like, uh, Hey, <coughs> thank you for rescuing me, but the princess you're looking for is not, I'm afraid <laughs> the princess you're looking for is in another castle. Hey man, that's peak narrative and uh, peak narrative structure in nintendo era how many times did i see that text scroll across the screen i cannot guarantee you that i ever actually once read what it said (laughs) like i oh your princess is in another castle i'm like oh great she's in another castle happens a lot yeah happens a lot i feel like every time that i show up they're like nope your princess is in here she's in another castle and i'm like like, oh man i just got to this castle where's the next castle and they like point down the thing and i'm like all right here we go (sighs) Right, Are there Goombas? Right. All right. Oh, of course there is. <laughs> have you uh, seen the new Super Mario movie? I have. Yeah, actually, it was a delightful. It was delightful? A, it was okay. delightful. I haven't seen it yet. I'm excited. We should have um, gone to see it when you were here, Mom, but uh, we didn't. Yeah. Um, so, I'm just going to start using my mom as like the third part of our <laughs> of our podcast. She's, she's, she's the shadow, shadow member of the podcast. Just, thanks, Mom. <laughs> um no oh, but by the way it is happy it is mother's day today so oh yeah we are we, recording on mother's on day. mother's day itself um you'll be pleased to know that we both called our respective mothers correct and, correct um and just again thanks for listening and happy mother's day to all you uh mothers out there yeah okay so the the game of resident evil was relatively simple and they then rushed a sequel Resident Evil 2. To the point where the game was so rushed that it was about 95, 75 to 95% complete, and it was just garbage, and they just scrapped the entire thing and like started over from, from, oh, wow. from the beginning. There is a, um, a playable build of that game floating around online. They call it Resident Evil 1.5, um, and it, it it's a completely different beast than the Resident Evil 2 that actually got released but an interesting piece of video game history and i highly recommend anybody who is interested to look up resident evil 1.5 on youtube there's a lot of really great like documentaries about how this game both came to be and then ceased to be but but it also then pushed like the narrative the narrative structure of video games um, to the point where it was so influential on how other games portrayed story, um, it became kind of the de facto standard. Does that make sense? It For- does, and and I feel, I feel like there's a bit of a a capitalist reason behind this, right? Like, like why would I sell you something once when I can sell it to you 
for the next six years. Absolutely. Right? Well, I mean, and and, and oh, I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. I was gonna say, but as as game consoles started getting more internet connected, um, like we we started seeing like, um, Elder Scrolls Oblivion great example like the horse dlc remember when that right? oh that God. came out it was so good and and but it like a lot of people had a lot of opinions about it they're like why would i spend more money to put uh cosmetic items on my horse this seems silly and stupid um until elder scrolls made a butt ton of money on like horse cosmetic dlc and then other game companies were like, oh, maybe there's something to, like... like oh, I got an idea. What if we actually gave them... What if we actually made the game easier so they could just pay us to play the game easier? Mm-hmm. And then we can make the game artificially hard and then charge them. Genius. Genius, Giles! <laughs> yeah. Um, Absolutely. And it, and it happens so slowly that as a, as a heavy video game fanatic playing video games pretty much nonstop for the entirety of my life it happened so slowly i didn't even notice it it's like now that you mention it i mean it really was a very subtle takeover and i guess maybe part of that is just like the development of the interconnectivity that's required for such a for such a thing to be able to be accomplished um let me think here what was the first game that i ever downloaded uh probably diablo 3 in 2012 Sure. Uh, up until that point, I would go to Hastings or Barnes & Noble or back when GameStop used to have PC games. I would go to them and I'd be like, I would like, I would look at the shelves and I'd pull off a box and they'd have a CD inside and I'd take it home and I'd install it on my computer and we'd be, we'd be good to go. The last time that I ever pre-ordered a game was Diablo 3, 2012. Um, I went to the, I pre-ordered it, went to the midnight release at the mall received a cardboard piece with a number on the back took that cardboard piece back to my house like physically traveled back to my house talk about could have been done in an email yeah and then here's your game code and then spent the next three days trying to log on and download diablo 3 with my crappy internet in my crappy apartment in orem utah and then after i literally was downloading for like two days servers were offline for like the first two weeks that the game was up and it was awful and terrible and i will never pre-order a game ever again <laughs> trauma yeah trauma trauma <laughs> first world problems <laughs> well no i mean it, and and diablo 3 is a great example like with the uh real money marketplace where like people could take the loot what that they a crazy earned. experiment yeah where, where like people could like take the loot that they earned and put it up for sale for people to buy like it was it and it yeah it was a great experiment but but i mean like it was kind of like the first signs that like things were were changing in the video game world so i think there's there's a couple there's a couple things that like the i mean it really all just comes down to people being able to be online right them to be able to reach out and download stuff to your computer in a fairly easy way um but it seems like um, some of it kind of makes me feel like, what were the Star Wars movies called when they were redone? Remastered? Oh, uh, special edition. Special edition. It kind of reminds me of the Star Wars special edition where we're like, yeah, it wasn't perfect before, George, but 
are you making it better by doing this stuff? Like maybe you should have just like left it alone the way that it was. But him as the creative mind behind that franchise is like, no, what I really want you guys to see is like what I want you guys to see. This is the closest that I could get in the 70s. I can do better now and get you closer to what I want to see. And assuming we want to see what he wants us to see, that's great. But sometimes he shows us those things and we're like, bro. It was better. It was better in the 70s. <laughs> well, but I mean, what wasn't? But but so there's there's a there there's the idea of like somebody doing that in earnest, being like, no, this is what I see in my head. I want to get this the closest that I can see to my head. And then there's no, no, this is the definitive version, and you have to buy it again to experience it, or you have to pay for the expansion. You have to get the cosmetics. You have to in the in the terms of video game right, and. So it it happened so subtly over the course of the last like two decades that I didn't even know it was happening until we're bringing it back to Resident Evil. They released a Resident Evil 2 remake, which was a complete from the ground up remake of Resident Evil 2, which was my personal favorite of the series. The game was a single player, linear narrative experience they actually weaponized my nostalgia it's like you remember events happening this way we're gonna do things in a slightly different order still keeping in true to the original but taking you by surprise tweaking it enough to make it feel fresh and new yeah you think you know what's about to happen but you actually don't that's crazy and and it was brilliant the game has no dlc I mean, it has, like, cosmetic stuff that you can unlock within-game. Um, but it's all... Came on, with it. It yeah. all came with it. Yeah, no, nothing you had to buy extra or go through and choose or yeah. win in a loot box. Yeah, and the, the, the game had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it, it was a, a perfectly encapsulated experience. And it was one of the best video game experiences that I have had in recent memory and then they released the Resident Evil 3 remake and it was also just as good and then just this last month they released the Resident Evil 4 remake which is probably academically speaking the most definitive game in the in the series that's like everybody's Um. favorite that's the one where you it was co-op and you could like you had you had to work the buddy. Which nope, one was co-op? That's five. Oh, that's five. Okay. And six, but we don't talk about six. Ooh. Um. <laughs> no. Uh. But the Resident Evil Four remake was perfect in every single way, and it and it just got me thinking. It got me thinking about the state of video games right now, and. How these video, how video game companies are, like trying to like squeeze the player for every dollar that they're worth, and then here's this publisher being like, yeah, we just rebuilt an old game from the ground up, and we're just gonna, we're just gonna sell it to you for sixty, seventy bucks, and uh, that have that be a complete experience, and it's selling like gangbusters like i'm not an isolated incident like the the like people are picking these games up and they're like they're just 
devouring them. Did we look up the meaning of gangbusters? Was that something we did on the show? I don't think we did. It's something I must have done at work with one of our coworkers. Um, I cannot remember what it is, but I think there used to be a TV show or a radio show called Gangbusters, where like it was like really over the top, like the announcer was like super energetic and stuff, and like, oh my god, <laughs> they're going like Gangbusters. Um, okay, that could be wrong. Fact check me. Hit us up on Instagram, please on, do, uh, our, uh, or email, right? Um, at our email account. But um, so. So, no, I I prefer – there are very few basic gameplay loops that will keep me entertained for long periods of time. Sure. Diablo, like the isometric top-down hack and slash, is fun, and I enjoy clicking the things. Like I, anything that moves on the screen, I click it with my mouse, and then my character does something cool, and they explode in blood. That's amazing. But I play Diablo to learn what, about what happened to Deckard Cain and the lord of terror the lord of hate and like to follow this intense amazing story between the struggle of heaven and hell and the tiny planet stuck in the middle and then honestly when i get to the end i'm like whoo wow that was a great that was a great story that was maybe maybe i'll play it again as another character later or right now but i feel satisfied in completing that story of diablo 2 what a wild ride um, I'm excited to try it again later, right? But I don't need to be constantly entertained by rift dungeons that allow you to grind aether crystals that you can then grind literally down into aether dust and then snort it to gain temporary <laughs> aether powers to get an XP boost when you go through the appropriate aether rift ring but you got to make sure the colors masked up and the stuff that you sniffed and the ring you go through and it has to be the event weekend that that that, that and if happening. it's not double xp weekend what are you even doing there yeah <laughs> and there's just, so and i'm just like this isn't fun to me this was not the fun part of the game the fun part of the game to me was um earning that next amazing blizzard cinematic or finding that cool book of lore that has tyriel tell me about the lords of hell um like that was all the stuff that i really liked and i feel like modern Maybe and maybe the same way you do, right? Because you're so you feel so good playing these old games. Like modern games feel hollow a lot of times and rushed, especially if you're not into that end game content, right? Like I want to spend sixty hours playing the main campaign and like talking to all the people and reading all the books and opening all the chests. Um, yeah, I want to approach it the same way that I would read a book or watch a movie. Like this is a piece of entertainment that I want to consume, reflect on. And then move on to the next thing. I don't want to rush to the end or skip all the good bits to get to the part that's super flashy and will last for long periods of time. I don't absolutely, know. absolutely. So, like, I, I use Resident Evil as a case study because it is a perfect example of, like, that singular uh, experience. Like, where Resident Evil was at its worst was when it tried to adopt... Um, like the style of the time like that's action or your shooters or something yeah yeah and co-op and mm. things like that you mentioned the the is that the resident evil with the co-op well that came out like the height of like the that was like after the, portal 2 yeah right? portal 2 <clears throat> was like they're like, oh wait playing with a friend is fun when we had friends to play with yeah but, but like the whole game was was dependent upon that so if you didn't have somebody to play with and you, you were, you were stuck with AI, an ai partner which was garbage yeah this, yeah he doesn't mean it it's okay <laughs> he's talking into his phone right now i am she's always <laughs> listening 
but and it is not the first it's not the only games that are coming out with remakes right now like we've got the final fantasy 7 remake which was pitch perfect in terms of like we're going to completely change the way this game is played like like reimagine it not just remaking it but like reimagining how you play this game and have it still like feel like final fantasy 7 the dead space remake came out recently as well and it though i think was really close to the source material to the point where it's like um, it didn't look much different to me until I compared screenshots, and I was like, "Oh, I thought it always looked like this." Yeah, but, right. Oh man, yeah. that's, that's always a crazy. That's always crazy. You go back, you're like, "Oh man, I remember this game looking way better than this. Like this is garbage." Yeah, um, but Dead Space was great. Final Fantasy remake, a seven remake was really good. The Resident Evil remakes were really good, and like my my absolute favorite gaming experiences right now are like remakes of games that I played in you know the 90s and I mean, the early 2000s i joked about buying skyrim five times but i think it had what three deals i don't understand the ai is listening despite the fact that i mean i guess it came with three dlcs but it was not did not require you to be online you didn't have to log into bethesda in order to play the game you had it on your computer and you could go through and and you just sit there by yourself and yeah, play the game. And it's absolutely incredible. I've sunk probably a couple thousand hours into Skyrim over the last 15 years, whenever since whenever it came out. Yeah. It, um, it, is that like your comfort game? Is that like what you play oh, in between games? No, man. My comfort game, it's bad. My comfort game is bad. Space Engineers. Mm. Where you literally engineer structures and vehicles per voxel block. And like... This block, if you connect it to this block, can like turn ice into O2 and H2. But you got to make sure you got good thrust vectoring and then they're lined up on the correct center of mass of your ship. Otherwise, we try to take off, that thing would be turned right over on its nose. That's my comfort. Like, <laughs> I will literally sit four hours and just 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 build just build things just just build amazing things and and sometimes i'll build something and then i'll go to save it like in my bluetooth or my bluetooth my blueprint place and i'm like oh i built this almost exact same ship like six months ago but i totally forgot that i built it i was like i was like that's awesome like this one's cooler and i was like oh but this part on this other ship's cooler i'm putting them together um you can't you can't argue with good design yeah space engineers if you never played it be careful um, it will suck you in, but that is my... I'm going to go home and play Space, Space Engineers tonight. Is um, it... Yeah. Is it that we're old, Chris? It might be. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to fully acknowledge that. Is this like, it used to be better when, than when we were younger? <laughs> um, well, I mean, like, I... So this is... I sound disparaging against, like, the the current, like, live service model and things like that. And... I'll, there's plenty I'll, of benefits. There's plenty of benefits, and I'll, and one of my favorite games that I play is Destiny Two, which is like the granddaddy of of live service games. Do you, and, have, to, do you have to pay for that? No, I mean you you pay for like expansions and DLCs and stuff like that, but <clears throat> there's not like a, a monthly subscription to play. It's um, it's a free to play MMO. Is that your comfort game? Yeah, I would say nice. so. For at least in the last like eight years or so, it's been Star Trek Online's crazy. I hate to like derail this, but talk about a game that will probably never end. Like Star Trek Online has been out for what, like fifty, almost as long as World of Warcraft. Like it probably came out shortly after World of Warcraft came out. 
and has just been going like gangbusters ever since. It's <laughs> if you ever want a yeah. good time, log on. Oh, Listen maybe I will. Maybe and I will. actually really good Star Trek stories and a fair amount of original voice actors and a lot of the ships that were not canon before that were in Star Trek Online are now canon. Perfect. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I've always been interested to, to, to give uh, Star Trek Online a, a shot. Did you ever see uh, Star Trek Nemesis? Yeah. Do you ever want to play Star Trek Nemesis where you're like, rotate the ship on the Z-axis, bring all the photon torpedoes to bear? Because that's what that game is. <laughs> you are literally... Oh, well, we may have to cut this part out because we told this one on a Star Trek tangent. But, no, that you're, you're um, fine. But it is literally... You are like... You get... Your engineer has like special abilities that are like... Modulate the flow of the neutrino emissions from the warp core. And you're like, boom! And your ship takes off like 25% faster. And your tactical officer has like attack pattern omega, which like lowers your shields but gives you like super intense. And you're, and this whole time your ship's flying around and shields are impacting the thing. And you're going, psh, 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 photon torpedoes, pow, pow, pow. it's so good. I, maybe I'll go and play Star Trek Online. It looks like you've, you've, what time do I have to work tomorrow? I only had three hours of sleep tonight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, so this is not to be disparaging against live service games, but um, there, I think there is some inherent value in going back and just seeing how these old games are made. If nothing else, just releasing a game that's not broken. like Right. Uh, and the, done. And yeah, like complete. You can imagine buying a book where they're like, all right, here's chapters one through five. Come back in six months and I might be done with chapters six through ten. Yeah. It's going to be crazy, maybe. Uh, you will have to pay for those, too. Yeah. Uh, you can pay for them right now if you want to. Yep. And, and sorry for all the typos and stuff like that. We're going to release an update soon <laughs> with all the grammar with all the grammar changes. And so I was trying to think of what would be – it would be like the difference between like writing a novel or writing a book and writing – a blog, I guess, because you always have the option to go back and change the blog. But like, once I hand you, once I send that book off to the publisher and they start mashing it through the presses, like, it is what it is, and that's why yep, there's like typos, like known typos, famous typos in books and stuff. Absolutely. Um, Where am I going with all of this? Is I've just I've just been super reflective on why I struggle to finish video games. But why I had zero problem finishing these remakes that I've been that I've been playing and 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 just where where why is that and and it could just be as simple as I'm old <laughs> and I and I have a you're old uh, and and I just have a preconceived notion of what a video game looks like and it's hard for me to say because like my initial instinct is to say well like they were telling better stories in better ways than modern video games are. And that may be true, and maybe that's true because they're focusing more on making sure to keep people around after the initial first 50 hours that they put into the game. And so a lot of the brain power or development or heavy thinking goes into that in-the-game content. Or it could just be that I'm old, and I'm like, things were better when I was younger. Yeah. Like <laughs> TV shows and books, and now all these movies are... Well, so the, your yeah, comment about like games being told better or something like that—I don't think that's necessarily true. Like, if you go back and play the original Resident Evil, oh. like they're like, "Stop! Don't open that door!" You know, like it—it's bad. It's, but 
did they were they afraid their acting was not going to come through on the computer? They're like, wait, this is going to be on a computer. Do I need to act differently? And they're like, no. They're like, are you sure? Yeah. It seems like I might need to if it's coming through on a computer. Maybe I could talk like this. Does that sound better? And they're like, no, 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 no stop just, doing that. Just, stop doing that. Yeah. So it, it, were they were they told better? I I I can't tell you for sure, but there there is a, a certain like completed completedness of of older games that I'm not seeing today except in these remakes like there were no like day one patches there were no like like things that oh this game's not playable right now but give it a week and we'll push out an update and it fix will, the thing it'll that totally wrong. be playable yeah one thing that i've really kind of noticed so, so like i never had any of these consoles right but now vr headsets even standalone vr headsets like the quest 2 are powerful enough to run these games natively which is why we have Resident Evil 4 available on the Quest Store. Like, you go go there and you can buy that game right now, load it on your Quest, no PC needed, and now you're playing, you know, Resident Evil 4 in VR, which is great because it's like, I mean, it's not super graphics intensive, obviously, right? Because it's from 10 years ago or however long ago. And 2003. 2003. 20 years ago. But we know that it's a solid enough story that to keep people around, and so they're down to redo whatever they need to do to make it VR compatible. And then you get like a really good polished complete game. The best, with the exception of Half-Life Alex, the best VR games available right now are either PC games that have good mods or remade games that were like remade specifically for VR, like Resident Evil 4 or the one where you just murder everybody. Blade and Sorcery. Blade is... <laughs> like, if you ever want to know what sort of monster you are deep down on the inside, just play Blade and Sorcery. I hear the new... I hear the new... You can, like, rip their heads off. It's terrible. The new physics mod's supposed to be insane. Um, <laughs> it really makes you feel like you're tearing their, their throats out. <laughs> and, and, and isn't that what we... You know what I could be a little bit more immersed in? Just straight up murder. It's just oh, there's like magic down. It's bad. Uh, destructible things. You can hit people with the chair, and the chair shatters, and they die. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that, <laughs> note, I'll leave. I'll leave you all with this. The this this final thought. Narrative storytelling should never take a back seat to cosmetics and DLC and play to win mechanics. I think. The popularity of these remakes uh, should tell the video game industry, like, what the audience is actually looking for. And then, like, if you put a narrative focus first and then incentivize to keep people playing rather than come up with the incentives first and then kind of shoehorn in a loose story to make it make sense, we might see a whole new renaissance of video games. Okay, here's my hope. My hope is that what we had gone through, say, between, like, let's call it 2010 and 2020, was, like, the darkest time of the reality TV. Mm -hmm. Like, when in between 2000 and 2010, where, like, it was just reality TV garbage. Because it was super easy to do, super cheap to do. Everybody was watching it. They would be able to get ratings for zero dollars. And then when that bubble burst, all of a sudden we get this new tv renaissance that we're kind of still in right now where we're getting like really really good shows like breaking bad or uh hell on wheels or i feel like i'm naming amc shows i mean mad men yeah yeah there you go walking dead walking oh. dead let's go amc friends <laughs> of the pod 
Um, no, you're 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 absolutely right. I think the the live service bubble is is on its way to bursting. What are we left with when it does? Hopefully, some good stories because that's really what we want. That's really what we want. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. For I have something to say about that. We deeply appreciate it. If you like what we talked about today or you like some of the previous episodes, you know, feel free to interact with us on Instagram. Um, our email is posted uh, in the description of the podcast. Please feel free to send us an email and uh, ask, like, with a topic. We out a good acronym. Histat is the, the is closest it, thing that I can, can come up with. Can you say that? Is that? Let me see. Let me, let me, let me look this here. I have something to say about that. I histat. Histat. All right. Thanks for listening to Histat, folks. Um, my name is Daniel. <laughs> I'm Chris. And um, I hope you all have a wonderful evening. And we will see you again soon. It's all about the story. 